When the founder of Walmart, Sam Walton, died in 1992, he was 74 years old. He started out with one small store in Arkansas, and he built one of the biggest businesses in the world, one of the richest men in our country. He had four children, three boys and a girl, and uh, they inherited his fortune. They were the heirs of Sam Walden's fortune. Today I want to talk to you all about inheritances and heirs. This is an important and not uh, hidden theme in the scriptures. For example, we read in Leviticus 20.23, as Moses speaks to the people of Israel, he says, You shall not walk in the customs of the nation that I am driving out before you, for they did all these things, and therefore I detested them. But I have said to you, you shall inherit, you shall inherit their land, and I will give it to you to possess a land flowing with milk and honey. What is an inheritance? It's usually something that has some monetary value, and it's left to a person or persons in a family when someone dies. That's the most common way we see the word used, and it can consist of property like a house, a car, or money, or stocks. So the person who gets all these things from their deceased loved one is called an heir. H-E-I-R, heir. H is silent. Well, our text here today in 1 Peter talks about an inheritance that believers in Jesus will, re will receive. So let's ask the Lord's blessing uh, as we pray together. Gracious Father, we come before your throne today thanking you for your word. We thank you for that fisherman of days gone by, the Apostle Peter, whom you called from catching fish to catching men, and you called him, Lord, not only to believe in Christ, your son, but to be an apostle in the early church, one of the primary leaders of that church. We thank you for his life and ministry. We thank you for all his service and the cause of Jesus Christ on the earth. And we thank you that in this letter that we've begun to study, he's always pointing us to Jesus, the Lamb slain for the salvation of his people. We ask you to guide us today and open up your word that we might learn more of this great salvation that Jesus has provided us so that we can learn, grow, rejoice, and be strengthened in our inner man. So we ask you to bless the teaching the teaching ministry of your word today, and our Savior Jesus' holy name, we pray. Amen. Amen. Now last Sunday, we focused on verse 3, and we learned that it was Jesus' resurrection from the dead that is the reason, the foundation, the historical fact that makes possible the new birth, the spiritual birth of believers. What is the new birth? Well, it's that invisible spiritual transaction that happens in our hearts and minds when the Holy Spirit enters our lives and enlightens us to the gospel of Christ so that we understand 
uh, something of the meaning of his death and resurrection, which is the basis of our salvation. The Holy Spirit shows us that we need Christ, that we're sinful, and we're lost, and we need to come to repentance and faith. And so the Holy Spirit enters these human lives and convinces us and convicts us of our lost condition and then he woos us and draws us so that we come to Jesus Christ asking forgiveness for our sins and we embrace him as our Lord and Savior. Well, this new birth is necessary in order to enter the kingdom of God. One who has experienced the new birth is a recipient of the mercy of God. The new birth is anchored in the resurrection of Christ. And the new birth can come to a person, a young person or an old person, any person in, which the, in whom the Holy Spirit is working and revealing the gospel to that person. If Christ had not been raised from the dead, we'd still be in our sins. But because he was raised, we know the Father accepted his sacrifice on Calvary's cross, the pouring out of his blood, and the Father accepted his sacrifice as a substitutionary sacrifice and payment for our sins. A cosmic transaction took place on Mount Calvary when the sins of God's people were laid upon the head of Jesus and he suffered the wrath of God in our place. Well, when the Bible and the New Testament speaks of the resurrection of Christ, it, it often says, it makes it clear that he was raised from the dead. He was good and dead. He was stone cold dead. But the Father raised him and brought him back to heaven after 40 days of appearing to his disciples, and then Jesus poured out the Holy Spirit along with the Father upon the people of God. And so he comes into the hearts and lives of his people, and he changes our hearts so that we begin to delight more and more in knowing him and serving him as we understand how he's rescued us from the coming judgment. And so, Paul begins in verse 3. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to him. Blessed be his name. Because according to his great mercy. He didn't have to be merciful. He could have been just just and sent us all to hell. But he was merciful. He's caused us. To be born again. How come we're born again? Because he caused it. Alright? No other explanation. He caused us to be born again to a living hope. We have a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Because Jesus lives, our hope lives. As long as Jesus is alive, which is going to be forever, our hope will be alive. And then... Paul said, I mean, Peter says this, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and un, 
fading. He's raised us to a living hope through the resurrection to, to an inheritance. Well, Jesus' resurrection is not only the basis, the ground of our new birth, but it is the basis and the ground for securing for us an inheritance. Well, if you or I were one of Sam Walton's children, we would have a massive, or we would have received a massive inheritance, millions of dollars. But as a child of God, we have something much better than that. We have an inheritance from God himself, an entrance into his kingdom, a fellowship with him, and it's a fellowship, it's an inheritance that will last forever. When Sam Walton's children die, they're not going to be able to take one penny with them. Nor will any of us. Well, Peter calls this inheritance, in verse 4, he calls it imperishable. You know, if you leave your food in the refrigerator too long, which I do sometimes, it begins to perish. (laughs) But this salvation, this inheritance cannot perish. It cannot rot. It remains forever. He also says that the inheritance, in verse 4, is undefiled. It cannot be sullied, that is, made dirty or unclean by any sin or any evil. But it remains forever holy and pure and undefiled. It comes from God and partakes of the nature of God. This inheritance, it's pure, righteous, righteous, and acceptable in God's holy sight. And then, one more word Paul uh, Peter uses to describe this inheritance. He says it's, it's unfading. It can never fade away. It will never lose its color, its vitality, its life. This inheritance that Believers receive will be just as glorious and beautiful and magnificent a million years from now as it is today. Everything in this universe eventually runs down or disintegrates or rots and vanishes. But the inheritance that God gives his people will last forever because it comes from God and it's a gift of God. I used to have a brown corduroy bathrobe that my grandmother made for me. She made one for me and my brother and our first cousin. I don't remember how old it was. I think I was around 19 or 20. And I wore that thing for at least 20 years until it began to fall apart and fade and became just a, a set of rags. But I finally just had to throw it away. But you see, the robe of Christ's righteousness that he gives us will never fall apart or rot or fade. It will always clothe us and make us acceptable to the Father from the day that we are able to have it put upon us until all eternity future. Well, the Apostle Peter uses three adjectives to describe this inheritance. He calls it imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. That means it's, it's strong. It's like the rock of Gibraltar. 
It's permanent. And I want to call it our invincible inheritance. Invincible means it cannot be conquered. It cannot be overcome. It cannot be subdued. We have an inheritance with our God which cannot be conquered by any evil power. It cannot be overcome by any power on earth or heaven. It cannot be subdued by any power on earth or heaven. It comes from God. It's invincible. It cannot be conquered. It conquers everything else, but it cannot be conquered. Hebrews chapter 9 verse 15 describes this inheritance. Speaks of Jesus saying he's the mediator of the new covenant so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance. Since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. So Jesus died in order to provide for the people of God an eternal inheritance. One that will never end. The inheritance the Walton children got will only last for this life. But this inheritance that God gives his people will last for all eternity future. Now, the Bible really speaks in several places, especially in the New Testament, about this inheritance. Uh, for example, later on in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 4, Peter writes, When the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. So this is part of this inheritance, the unfading crown of glory. Or James chapter 1, verse 2 says, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. So the crown of glory, crown of life, all these things comprise part of the inheritance. And then uh, Paul writes in 2 Timothy 4, 8, he says, Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but to all who have loved his appearing. So, this inheritance is described in several different ways. One way, it's a crown of, of life, of glory, of righteousness. Now, how much do those things cost? How much can you pay to get a crown of righteousness? A hundred dollars? A million dollars? No. It comes only from the grace of God that he bestows upon his people the crown of life, the crown of glory, the crown of righteousness. Uh, one of the commentators on 1 Peter, Alan Stibbs, says this about this inheritance, that uh, when the Bible in the Old Testament talked about the inheritance the Jews, the Israelites were getting Canaan, it was uh, something for this world, but the inheritance in the New Covenant is something that's in heaven. It's been set aside, it's been reserved for the people of God. And really the highest blessing of this inheritance, what do you think it is? The greatest part of the inheritance. It's the Lord Himself. Okay? 
Uh, for example, Psalm 16.5 says, The Lord is my chosen portion in my cup. You hold my lot. Now this inheritance is described by uh, another older commentator. And he says it's untouched by death. You die, you don't lose it. Okay. It's unstained by evil. Evil cannot affect it in any way. It's unimpaired by time. So this inheritance will go on forever. Worldly possessions decay. They get stolen. They break. We lose them. But the inheritance that God gives his children is lost proof. You can't lose it. You can't lose it because it's anchored in God himself and it's guaranteed by Christ's resurrection from the dead. Now, he describes, verse 4, also of this inheritance that it's kept in heaven for you. So, the Greek text that's used here in the Greek language to describe this word kept is a what we call a perfect tense. It indicates a past act that happened that has abiding consequences. So, it's been purchased for us by Christ's blood is kept in heaven forever. It has abiding consequences. Now, our inheritances on earth don't last forever. They may not last very long. Suppose I am fortunate enough to get an inheritance of $10,000. And so I go and I stick it under my mattress. One day I'm going to use that money to buy a new car. And I come in one day and my house is torn up. The mattress is thrown on the floor. The $10,000 is gone. But if I put it in a bank, it's going to be safe. Even if the bank burns down, my money is insured by the federal government. So, in a similar matter, no matter what happens to us here on earth, our inheritance in the heavenly places is safe. Nothing can touch it. That means our salvation is safe. No one and nothing can rob it from us. Paul said it like this in Romans 8:38. He said, "I'm sure that neither life nor death, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor death, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul believed in this invincible inheritance, that nothing could conquer it or take it away from the Christian believer. John Calvin described our salvation as being kept safe in heaven, so it's beyond the reach of danger. It's beyond the reach of the problems and evils, heartaches, distresses of this world. Another thing about this invincible inheritance, it's not only kept for us, 
by God himself, reserved for us, but it's personal. Notice it says, kept in heaven for you. For you. It's plural there. You all. Kept in heaven for you all. What's he talking about? He's talking about the church. Now, Jesus said in John 14, 3, if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself. There's our supreme inheritance. He'll take us to himself. That where I am, you may be also. The word you here is also plural. He's talking to the church, the people of God. Jesus has gone on ahead. He's our forerunner into the heavenly places. He's preparing a place for us that we might go and join him. And so, meanwhile, he's keeping us safe and his invincible love here on earth. Paul describes this invincible inheritance in Colossians 1.5 as the hope laid up for you in heaven, which you've heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel. Paul goes on in verse 5, and he's talking to these Christians scattered about Asia Minor in this letter. He says to them, who? Look at that word, who. That's talking to people. You people, in other words, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. So this salvation is not only uh, invincible and reserved for us, kept for us, not only personal, he has his eye of love upon each of us, but it waits to be revealed. The consummation of this inheritance hasn't happened yet. The down payment has begun. Christ came, he died, he was raised, he ascended. He's there in heaven interceding, preparing to come back and receive us to himself. Revelation 1.7 says, Behold, he's coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth will wail on account of him, even so. Amen. He's coming to claim his inheritance, his people, and bring us to himself. Well, this passage, these two verses, verse 4 and 5 of 1 Peter 1, speak not only of the invincible, unconquerable inheritance that God has for his people, but it speaks, tied in with that, of course, is about the heirs of salvation. Those who are the recipients of this inheritance. He says, who, by God's power, are being guarded through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. So this word who, as I've already pointed out, is very important because it indicates 
that the object of God's inheritance is his people. That's what he gets out of this whole salvation business. He gets us. And we get him. That's a good deal. For us, for sure. <laughs> you see, this invisible inheritance is no good if it doesn't have a recipient. Somebody receiving the inheritance. And it does. We are the ones, the people of God, who receive this inheritance. We are the heirs. Now, in Romans 8, another passage in Romans 8, Romans 8, Paul says this to the Christian believers that he was writing to at Rome. He says, You did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit <clears throat> that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs. There's that word heirs, okay? Those who receive the inheritance. Heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Now you can't beat that. To be an heir of God and to be an heir, a fellow heir with Christ. That's how he describes believers. Provided, he goes on, that we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. So part of the package that and we're going to be reading about this in 1 Peter as we go along, that suffering is an integral part of being a servant of Jesus, of being an heir of his kingdom. Holy Spirit comes to us. We receive, we receive the spirit of adoption as sons, so we're co-heirs with Christ. We're included in the inheritance that he gets. What's he going to inherit? He's going to inherit the whole universe, the kingdom of God. We're called fellow heirs with him. This is no small matter. Our inheritance that awaits us. Well, in Ephesians chapter 1, the scriptures talk about the Holy Spirit is the down payment of our inheritance. He's the deposit. So that we know the rest is going to be given to us at the proper time. Now, Christ himself is the supreme heir of this whole concept. He inherits the kingdom of God. He inherits the people of God. You remember that parable in Mark chapter 12 where the, uh, the man uh, built a vineyard and he rented it out to, very, to these group of people and they they would, he would send his servants to collect part of the crop and they would beat him and send him away. And then finally he said, the owner of the vineyard said, I'm going to send my son. Surely they'll respect him. And so when, they sent the, when he sent his son, they said, when they saw there was a son coming, this is the heir. The heir. Let's kill him and the inheritance will be ours. You see... Jesus was speaking about himself. <laughs> this prayer, he was the heir that they were going to kill. Hebrews chapter 1 says this, 
in these last days, God has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed, He appointed the heir of all things. Jesus is going to inherit this whole universe, the whole kingdom, the people of God. We share in His inheritance by adoption into the family of God. And then somebody said this, this inheritance that we receive is something which is given to us by God's grace and is in no sense earned. You can't buy your way into the kingdom of God. You can't work your way into the kingdom of God. You can't be righteous enough with religious works to get this eternal inheritance. You have to receive the grace and mercy and salvation of Christ by faith. He says these heirs are guarded by God's power. How safe are you in this wicked world that we live in that's full of tornadoes and car accidents and shooters and all kinds of evil? How safe are you in this world as an heir of Christ? Well, he says, we're guarded by God's power. God's power is in heaven. How safe is our inheritance in heaven? It's absolutely safe. Because we, we are protected by God's power. Our inheritance is reserved for us. It's not safe because of our human power, that's for sure, or by some angelic power, or by some ecclesiastical power, that is by some church organization, but by the very power of God himself. You're being guarded through faith by God's power. How powerful is God? Look around you. Look at the clouds and the sun and the trees and the oceans and the mountains and the universe. God spoke it all into existence one day by the command of his voice. That's how powerful God is. And you and I, who belong to Christ, are protected by that same power from every evil, from every distress in this life. The planets hold their courses. The atomic particles exercise their rotation. The air we breathe, the function of our cells and our bodies which take the oxygen out of the blood and keep the body going. All these processes in the universe that we take for granted that are happening continually, are upheld, sustained, and governed by the very power of God. He's the one who keeps our inheritance safe, keeps us safe. Everyone who's united to Christ through faith in Him as an anchor in the heavens Jesus Christ 
And we're guarded by God's power. Guarded is a military term. We're guarded by the army of God, so to speak. Heaven's armies. And the chief soldier there is Jesus Christ himself who guards every believer by his almighty divine power. Christ said, no power, nobody can snatch you out of my hands. He protects us from all evil, from Satan and his demons and all their evil. When we finally arrive in his presence, we'll not be any more secure than we are right now. We'll just be absent from the presence of sin. Now, interestingly note, interesting to note, he says this, the heir, regarding the heirs, who are guarded through faith. You see, this statement brings a balance here. Christ's resurrection is the basis of our new birth and, this, and functions for the securing of our eternal inheritance, our invi- invincible inheritance. Yes, we're guarded by God's power. Yes, our salvation is reserved in heaven. Yes, it's ready to be revealed at the proper time. But to benefit from all of these various aspects of our invincible inheritance, we have to have faith. If we don't have faith, it doesn't do us any good. He says, you're protected through faith. We have to have faith. Salvation does not come to us apart from faith. Faith is a gift of God. And it must be given to us. And we must exercise it. This eternal inheritance, this invincible inheritance is given to us not only by God's action, but through our faith. That's what the text says. Who by God's power are being guarded through faith. You've got to believe. You've got to believe with all your heart and all your mind. You've got to believe in Christ. You've got to believe the gospel. You've got to have faith. John Calvin said this. Those who are given faith are distinguished from those who have not been given faith. And those who have been given faith have confidence that they are legitimate, true heirs of the invincible kingdom. As faith in the believer penetrates right into the heavens, so also it gives to us the blessings which are in heaven. And then he gives an example of something that's in great error. He talks about the papacy, the leadership of the Roman Catholic Church, which teaches its people that their final perseverance is doubtful because they're uncertain whether tomorrow they'll be in the same state of grace or not, whether they're going to lose their salvation 
by sin. But Peter doesn't leave us in suspense. He maintains, says Calvin, that we stand by the power of God. In case there's any doubt arising from the consciousness, the realization of our own infirmity, our own weakness. But, however weak our faith may be, our salvation is not weak. It's not uncertain. It's grounded upon the power of God to the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, the impartation of the Holy Spirit into the life of the believer. So in these two verses today, in this rich letter, oh, I'm, I'm beginning to learn more about this great letter of 1 Peter, but we are learning here from these two verses that the resurrection of Jesus Christ not only provided us with the ground for our new birth, but it provided us with an invincible, unconquerable inheritance anchored in heaven. Nothing can disrupt it or damage it, this inheritance. Nothing can rob it from us. It's kept for us. It's reserved for us. It's guarded by the power of God. It's personal. It's meant for each believer. That each believer might come into the fellowship of God and confess that the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ is my God and I'm his child. It's personal. It's going to be revealed in the last time. This invincible inheritance and for the heirs of the inheritance, us, the people of God, we're guarded not just by our own power, which is insufficient to get us to heaven. We've got to have God's power all the way. And that's definitely part of the whole package. So it's through faith. All these great things happen, but we have to believe it. We have to receive it to ourselves, confess it, and follow Christ all the days of our life. And then we shall receive a rich welcome into the invincible kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ. So let us believe, let us rest in Him, let us serve Him, let us worship and adore Him. And rejoice that this great inheritance is ours now and awaits its fulfillment when Jesus returns. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this invincible inheritance that you have established for your people based upon Jesus resurrection and it's been ministered to us your people through the Holy Spirit Lord we thank you that nothing can rob us of our inheritance in the heavenlies that you have given to us through the work of Jesus your son and our Savior so Lord we wait 
for the fulfillment of our inheritance. But as we wait, strengthen us to love you, to serve you, to rejoice in you, to be your witnesses in the earth. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. We have a response hymn to sing now. It's called, Blessed Be the Everlasting God. Let's stand together as we sing. <laughs>